During Advent, season of Advent, we're preparing ourselves. It's a function to prepare ourselves to celebrate the mystery of our Lord's incarnation. This unbelievable, almost amazing truth that God became man in order to save us. And one of the most astonishing things these days is not so much this colossal indifference that we see to the reality of God becoming man for us, or even the unbelievable hatred, outright hatred that so many people have for our Lord. What seems the most astonishing, at least to me, is the vast number of practicing Catholics who somehow don't see the significance of Christ, who don't see the absolute necessity of having an authentic, loving relationship with Christ our Lord as if he's just another one of the many flavors, like in the whole pantheon of gods, goddesses, and choices. It's amazing to me. I get in these kind of conversations a lot. Anyway, it's so essential to understand this reality that today we're going to spend some time reviewing this. We've been through this before, but it it's definitely merits repeating. In order to understand why a relationship with our Lord isn't just another possible choice in this giant cosmic salad bar of reality, in order to understand our religion, in order to understand the absolute necessity of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we need to have a clear understanding of two points. The first point is what does Adam have to do with us? In other words, what's our relationship with Adam and how does that arise? And the second point is what does Jesus Christ have to do with us? What is our relationship to Jesus Christ, and how does that arise? So the questions are, what is our relationship with Adam, and how does that arise? And what is our relationship with Jesus Christ, and how does that arise? First, what does Adam have to do with us? What is our relationship with Adam, and how does it arise? It's easy. Adam is the physical head and natural father of mankind. So we have a natural relationship to Adam. We're all descended from him. Of course, since we're all descended from him, this shows the complete stupidity of racism, since we're all equally descended from one common father, Adam. Since we're all descended from Adam, since we're all equally his sons, we're all equally his heirs. That means we each get a share in his inheritance, right? Which we means we all get to share in. We've all inherited those things that he's passed down to us. And what has Adam handed down to us? We leave Our Lady out of this part of it. What has Adam handed down to us? We all know. Everybody knows. All those great things like original sin, concupiscence, sickness, suffering, death, and bondage to Satan. Thanks a lot, Adam. We have a natural relationship with Adam. He's the physical head of mankind. He was our representative before God, and he blew it. On behalf of all mankind, he declared war. Naturally speaking, we're all heirs and fellow citizens of Adam, so that's why, as Scripture says, by nature we're all born children of wrath. Okay, so that's the first point, our relationship with Adam and how it arises. Second point, what does Jesus Christ have to do with us what is our relationship with Jesus Christ, and how does that arise? Brief review. Remember that our Lord is not a human person. He's not a human person. He's a divine person. Remember what person means. Person is the answer to question who or who's doing something. 
We've talked about that before. You hear a knock on the door, you say, who's there? Who's that knocking on the door? Nature, we have to remember this one. Nature is an answer to question what or what's its ability, what can it do? Person is who, who's doing something. Nature is what and what can it do? You hear a noise in the forest, you go, what was that? You're asking a question about nature. You hear the knock at the door, you go, who's that? You're asking a question about a person. Okay, our Lord is not a human person. He's a divine person. He's the second person of the most blessed trinity. He's God the Son. He has two natures. He's one who and two whats. He has two natures. He has a human nature and divine nature. He's true God and he's true man. Now, we all know that. So it makes it easy to understand what Christ has to do with us. On the one hand, because Christ is God, the God in whose image and likeness we are created, the God who made us out of nothing, as in absolutely nothing, the God who's constantly then holding us above the surface of nothingness, so to speak, the God who's constantly pouring down being into us so that we can exist. If God quits pouring down being in us, if he quits holding us above the surface of nothing, we just collapse into nothingness again. He's holding us in being. This God who knows even our most secret thoughts and desires because he's holding them above the surface of nothingness. He's even given our most hidden thoughts being. So because he's God, it's easy to see that relationship. In that respect, we all have a relationship of existence with him. He's actually holding each one of us, all our thoughts, all our words, all our deeds into existence, okay? So that part of the relationship is easy to understand. Now, because he's man, he can do anything and everything that goes with being a man. Being born, eating, so forth, all the things he did while, while he was visibly present here. But any act our Lord does, any act at all, has an infinite value since the person who is doing the act is God. God the Son. So it's easy to see he's the perfect man to represent us, before, before children of wrath, before God. He's a man, but he's God. Okay? Think about it, though. Comparison. Imagine a man that's been sentenced to a very painful, torturous death, and he's been given the opportunity for one appeal, and he's asking you for advice. He wants to know which lawyer to hire. And he explains out of all the possible defense lawyers, all the ones that are available, there's one lawyer who's never lost a case. And none of the rest have ever won a case. What are you going to tell him? It's a no-brainer. It's the same problem. Thanks to Adam, we're all under a death sentence. We've all been sentenced to death. Without grace, that means eternal death. There's only one that can bring us grace. Since the incarnation, Jesus Christ is available to represent us, and he's the perfect man. He's one of us. But unlike us, he's never offended God. He is God. Every act he does has infinite value. And his most important act is suffering and death on the cross. His most important act, he came to redeem us in order that we all might receive adoption as the sons of God. St. Paul terms it. He came specifically to untangle the mess that Adam left us in. He's the only one that can untangle the mess. He's the only one that can save us from eternal disaster. He's the only Savior. He's absolutely unique. 
Now, here's the problem. You have to listen very carefully. This is the problem. As men, as descendants of Adam, we all have a natural relationship to him. We fell and supernaturally died in Adam insofar as we're united to him. And we're united to Adam as a representative, whether we like it or not, just by the mere fact of being conceived. And there's nothing that we can do about that. We're united. Each one of us is united to Adam, whether we like it or not. And just as we all fell from grace and became children of wrath because of our union with Adam, so also union with Christ restores to us grace and makes us adopted sons of God. Let's hear that again. This is important. Just as we all fell from grace and became children of wrath because of our union with Adam, union with Christ restores us to grace and makes us adopted children of God. Everybody needs to burn that into his mind. Just as we all fell from grace and became children of wrath because of our union with Adam, our union with Christ restores us to grace and makes us adopted children of God. We're naturally united to Adam as a representative, whether we like it or not. We can't help it. But we have to be supernaturally united to Christ to be restored to God, grace, and become adopted children of God. We're naturally and necessarily united to Adam. But we're not necessarily united to Christ. We're necessarily united to Adam by our conception. We're not necessarily united to Christ. That's something that happened for most of us when we were babies. When our godparents specifically asked the church to unite us to Christ. That's the significance of asking, what do you ask of the church? That's what the first question that the priest asked our godparents. They want faith, because faith brings eternal life. It unites us to Christ. But we're not necessarily united. That's the horror of it. He gives us a state of grace. He gives us new life. The supernatural life makes us adopted children of God. And that's the horror of a mortal sin. Because we violently rip that out of our soul and return to our natural state. We're not necessarily supernaturally united to Christ. We're necessarily united to Adam by our, our very conception. We're not necessarily united to Christ. Here are the same points expressed by the infallible teaching of the church. This is Canon 3 from the Decree on Original Sin of the Council of Trent. Quote, if anyone asserts that the sin of Adam, which is transmitted to all men by propagation, and is in each one as his own, is taken away either by the powers of human nature or by any other remedy besides the merit of the one mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath reconciled us to God in his own blood, made unto us justice, sanctification, redemption, let him be anathema. For there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Close quote, the infallible teaching of the Council of Trent. If anyone asserts that the sin of Adam is taken away by any other remedy besides the merit of the one mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be excommunicated. Just as we all fell from grace and became children of wrath because of our union with Adam, 
union with Christ, and only union with Christ restores to us grace and makes us adopted children of God. Carmelite, master of interior life, wrote, quote, We shall belong to Christ or we shall not have supernatural life. We shall be sons with the word incarnate in the bosom of the Holy Trinity, or we shall be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. Our Lord desires the salvation of all men. That's why he came on his mission of mercy. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. As our holy patron St. Peter says, there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way besides union with Christ to be restored to grace and become adopted children of God. There is no other way. Reality is not some cosmic sodbar. Jesus Christ is a representative before God, or we don't have one. It's a choice each one of us has to make. He's the only representative before God. He's just not one in a host of different choices, this pantheon of the new age. It's Jesus Christ or it's nothing. There are no other choices. So this Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, we ought to really ponder that reality and be filled with thanks and wonder and joy. That even though each one of us is by nature one of the children of wrath, in spite of that, our Lord had mercy on us. We ought to be filled with hope and thanks and wonder and joy that he's given proud, rebellious dust like us the dignity of becoming adopted sons of God and the heirs of eternal life.